This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 443rd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the most popular and prolific actresses of her generation. She is best known for playing Monica Geller, the OCD mother hen on the beloved NBC sitcom Friends from 1994 through 2004, and also for portraying the ambitious TV reporter Gail Weathers in the Scream films released in 1996, 1997, 2000, 2011, and 2022, with another on the way in 2023. Her other standout work includes stints on FX's drama series Dirt from 2007 through 2008. TBS's sitcom Cougar Town from 2009 through 2015, and most recently, Starz's comedy horror series Shining Veil, which debuted in March and on which she plays a wife, mother, and author whose midlife personal and professional struggles lead her family to relocate from their New York apartment to an old house in Connecticut where her troubles only get worse. Courtney Cox. Over the course of our conversation, which was recorded in front of a class that I teach at Chapman University, the 57-year-old and I discussed some of her early breaks, like being hired to dance opposite Bruce Springsteen in a music video and playing the girlfriend of Michael J. Fox's character on Family Ties, how she first heard about Friends and why she asked to play Monica instead of Rachel, how her prior work on Friends and in the Scream films, as well as personal frustrations that she felt during the years after Cougar Town, helped to prepare her for her role on Shining Veil, vale, which she describes as the most layered and challenging she has ever played, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you. And uh, on this one, we always go right back to the very beginning. I wonder if you can tell our listeners, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Uh, okay. Hi. Um, I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, my mother was a professional housewife and uh, my dad uh, built swimming pools. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a little random, but your your first name is obviously spelled a little unusually. Is there a story behind that? Um, well, my mother's name was Courtney, and uh, her mother named her that, which put an extra E in the name, which is Courtney, yes. and made it really difficult for people to spell it my whole life. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then Courtney became a very used name in my family because then my mother, my oldest sister is named Virginia. And they called her Virginia Courtney Cox. It's like, and then I am Courtney Cox. So it's like, come on, guys, let's think of something new. But anyway. Well, uh, now, were you an only child or there were there were other? No, there's four of us. I'm the youngest of four. And oh, and I do have a brother named Richard, and he named his one of his kids 
Courtney Cox. <laughs> was so that, I, I couldn't name Coco Courtney. Even yeah. though that's a Southern thing. You always, like, that's my dad's name is Richard. My brother's name is Richard. It's just, it's, it's really hard crazy, to keep track. It? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now was the, was the sort of, was it a creative household? How did, were, were you the only one who was drawn to uh, performing or, or was that sort of widespread? No, not at all. I mean, I used to go to my grandmother's house um, every single Sunday. We have 21 first cousins. And I will say the only creative part was watching some of us do skits because there are so many kids that, you know, you had to have a couple of comedians in there and a couple of um, creatives. But there were some artists. My dad is a really he's a good painter. Um but no, there was no act, no acting at all. And also being an, from Alabama, it's just not a place where you think of, I mean, now it, it is, it's more, you know, much more creative and a lot, a lot more art filled, but it wasn't when I was growing up. So no, I was the only one. And, and for you, do you remember what's your, what's your earliest memory of performing or being, or, you know, I guess part B, the idea that it was something that you might actually pursue, not just as a you know, a fun thing in, in, I guess at home or school or whatever, but when did you start to think seriously about it? Well, my very first part was Anna and the King and I, and that was at camp when I was probably like 12 years old. And all that is, is a bad memory for me because no (laughs) one came, my mom didn't come or my dad, my parents are divorced. And so I don't, that wasn't what pushed me into acting, but I think my, um, I guess when I moved to New York and started doing commercials um, and taking acting classes, I think that's when I got the the acting bug. Was that then, right after uh, right after high school, or I, I think you started college, right? Yeah, I went to New York the summer after I graduated, and I got some like little modeling jobs for like youngest young miss magazine and just little things like makeovers probably because i was from alabama and i had a really bad perm and i I think people were like oh i could do something with this girl um but then i went to college for one year and i went back to new york and then i didn't go back to college when you were in college what were you uh what were you starting to focus on i was gonna i wanted to be an architect okay i am obsessed with design still I have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, we'll come back around to that, but I guess now you're in New York, you're out of school after, after that brief, uh, stint there. What, what, what were you basically, I mean, the, the, you said there were some modeling gigs, but was there a regular thing to pay the bills or was that enough to sustain you? Um, I was pretty broke. (laughs) I mean, I ate a lot of raised pizza and I remember one time I was doing a modeling job and I had not eaten, you know, it's it just at all. I maybe had one slice of pizza, you know, the day before and I fainted. Oh. So, yeah, it's I was definitely um, not, it, you know, I struggled at first, but then I I used to do these book covers. And so I can say it's modeling, but really I would walk into a place, no makeup, anything, and just would make these expressions, whether it was, you know, the girls from Canby Hall, which was one of the book series I did. And so I just had to be like reading a book or, you know, (laughs) or doing something silly. And then I did like a series of of mystery books. And um, I forgot what I got paid, but it may have been like $60. 
And somehow an hour, that was pretty good. (laughs) And somehow I was able to save enough money and I, then I got roommates and um, it worked out. Yeah. Um, So which came first, the modeling or the acting in New York? Were you always kind of set on, uh, you know, studying acting, pursuing acting, or did that just sort of come out of being modeling and being a model and maybe having representation or something like that? You know, I was just kind of, I didn't, I knew I wouldn't, I didn't want to be a model for many reasons, but I'm also five, five. I'm not, I was never going to be, and I'm not like, I don't even have good posture. It's not like I know how to walk down a catwalk or anything. So I knew that wasn't going to be my career, but I also had a real um, strong Southern accent. So I just knew I loved being, I just loved my acting class. I loved my acting teacher. So I just, uh, I took speech lessons and it just something that happened actually through commercials. And mm-hmm. uh, I did a merry-go-round commercial and just, I don't know. I just loved, I loved being around creative people and I loved pretending. <laughs> yeah. Now, was there something like a side gig or something at a music agency? And did that have anything to do with your uh, first claim to fame of being in uh, the Bruce Springsteen Dancing in the Dark video? Yes. I worked at an agency called FBI. Um, it's called Frontier Booking International. And back in the 80s, we represented the best, coolest bands, everyone from the police to UB40 to Thompson Twins to all the, you know, Robert Palmer, all those people that from the 80s are incredibly, they're just they were fantastic. And I was an agent's assistant. Mm-hmm. And they also had, because a lot of musicians, as they do now, wanted to do acting parts and how and have their own story to tell. So the um they opened up an acting division in this place. And I went out on an uh, they called it, I think it was we used to call them gosies. <laughs> it's so weird. No, nothing's like that anymore. Better anyway, than cattle call, right? That was. <laughs> that's right. Um, and I went to go audition for the Bruce Springsteen video with Brian De Palma. And I walked in and I saw all these really beautiful girls stretching and, you know, putting their legs up and dancing and just warming up. And I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> and I walked into his office and he said, oh, would you, you know, he put the song on and said, dance. I mean, he didn't say it like that abruptly. He just yeah. said, would you? And I said, right here, right now, in front of you? <laughs> I feel like I'm such a fan. What? And I guess my embarrassment and my shy nature and my horrible dancing got me a job. <laughs> and did do you feel that, I mean, that must have felt like the biggest thing in the world at the time. Did it actually open doors or was it just sort of a, uh, a claim to fame for for, you know, for a little while? Well, you know, he's Bruce, I mean, Bruce is Bruce, but uh, it also was his first number one single. So it got a lot of commercial uh, and uh, yeah, it was just a big, big song. So it got me in a lot of doors because people wanted to know what is Bruce Springsteen really like? Right. I've spent a lot of time doing things where people ask, what is Michael (laughs) J. Fox really like? (laughs) So I, I, I get in the door by um just by being around these cool people i guess well so that was july 84 and i don't think it was until 87 that you were on family ties with the aforementioned uh michael j fox and i guess though what was going on in the intervening period were you starting to get some traction were you starting to get acting 
gigs. I think there was some soap opera stuff. There was like just breaking in, right? Yeah, I, I had done a couple of days on a soap opera. Um, and then I can't remember. I did a few things, but then I got a show called Misfits of Science. And that moved me to California because it was picked up. I think we did 13 episodes, maybe. Um, that was with Dean Paul Martin. And uh, anyway, that was really fun. And that was yeah. my first big part. And oh, I did the love boat. I mean, I'm, yes. hey, <laughs> uh, with Peter Scolari was my love interest. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I guess Misfits of Science. And then I did something called The Trouble with Larry, which was with Bronson Pinchot. I was a pilot. And um, Masters of the Universe. Yeah, I think I think that was before Family Ties. I'm not great with timing. Well, I think actually Trouble with Larry was a little later, only because wasn't that perhaps the one that, even though it was short lived, may have kind of put you on the radar for the creators of Friends, right? Oh, you're right because it was a sitcom, and yeah, I think that was the thing that. Well, no, that was after that was after Family Ties. Yeah, because I well I have it as '93, and then '94 you you're. You're in oh. it. But anyway, let's talk about Family Ties, though, because it's 87 to 89. These are the last couple of seasons there. You're Michael J. Fox's girlfriend. Uh, you're a regular on a hit show. I mean, this is now – I feel like it's taking it up a notch, certainly from Misfits or or other stuff. Um, how how – you know, anything that stands out about that? And then also something that I saw you, you said at one point, quote – after Family Ties, I was working, even if no one heard about it, the safest route at that point would have been to do another television series right away. And I could have definitely been another girl in a sitcom, easy, but I really thought I needed to try other things, close quotes. So just the Family Ties experience and then the calculation, don't immediately follow it with something else like it. Hmm. Okay. I'm surprised I said that. Uh, <laughs> uh, family Ties was great. I got to, I learned so much from Michael J. Fox. He is obviously so talented and so funny. And one of the things, and, and uh, Gary David Goldberg was just, uh, what a sweetheart. He taught me a, so much too and a wonderful man. But I would watch Michael J. Fox really study him and watch how he would take one line and break it into three different jokes. Like where someone else might just say their line and that would be it and get a huge laugh at the end. He knew how to pause at the right place and, and get three. People just were like, oh, I know what something else is coming. And they would laugh like with anticipation. But um, anyway, that was a great experience. I, I I wasn't in every episode for the last two years. I would come in and and it was a little nerve wracking because you're not there every day just to feel like you're a regular. So I would go away for a couple episodes and then come back. And I was nervous every time, but the, everyone was wonderful. I mean, Michael was great and everybody was, but um, after that, I can't even remember what I did. I definitely learned a lot on that show. Uh, well, let me ask you this. If there, I mean, I don't, rem I don't, I'm not as familiar with Misfits and some of the other stuff that was before Family Ties, but was the idea of, you know, a multicam show in front of an audience, right? That's, that's its own art form. And as you're saying, you know, knowing timing and pacing and all of that, um, was something that it sounds like you took away from family ties, but like, can you explain to somebody who hasn't, let's say even other actors who haven't worked in that particular format, is, is it like, do you feel like it's, it's essentially theater with cameras? Yes, it is. 
um, there's something you get from the audience where I, I remember thinking, I mean, I've I actually watching the reunion. I think that's where I learned that Matthew Perry was saying that just was this thing where he had to have the audience laugh. It was, it meant everything to him. And, you know, I didn't have that kind of thing, but we all, it was like, it was this feeling of, well, I do, I did have this where I would think, oh, well, if you think that's funny, when do you get this next line? <laughs> but uh, um, the th- I guess it's like theater, except for if you mess up, you get to go back and do right, it again. Right, right. <laughs> um, it was great. It was such a, you know, I'm how, how lucky am I to have been on a show with that kind of writing, with that kind of cast, with that kind of chemistry. Um, it was great. Um, but, you know, you, you do, as they say, the show must go on. I remember like that's 10 years of our life. So right. there were marriages, divorces, babies. Uh, my dad died. And I remember having to tape and my I had just found out my dad had cancer. And you, you doesn't matter. The audience is there and you can't just go see ya. We have to postpone. Um, you just have to do it. And yeah. so anyway, it's it's. It just you become a family and it's it's great. But ten years, that's a long time to do anything. Oh, for sure. And and before we even get to that though, I just want to note because you were at the at the outset of friends, certainly the highest profile, maybe the only one with a real profile of the of the six, but that was was that family ties related or would you say I mean, because there was also some some movie stuff I think that was going on even before Friends, right? Like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective is before that had nothing to do with you being on Friends, right? I don't remember which which came first. Um, I do know that the trouble with Larry. Now I'm yes. remembering. I think I did Ace Ventura either. I think I was doing it when I got that. I'm pretty sure. What year was Ace Ventura? God, it's terrible Ace, when you don't well, remember. No, no, no. It's I mean, Ace Ventura is '94, but I think probably summer '94 and Friends was not until. The fall, if I'm correct, right? With when I know that we did a pilot, and then we got picked up. So maybe I did it in the summer, yeah. and then we got picked up and we did it. And but it wasn't. I mean, yeah. I, I people say, "Oh, well, I was the most well known." But let's. I mean, I wasn't that well known. <laughs> it wasn't like <laughs> I was distracting. I'm so famous. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> no. Well, so what was your first awareness that there was even a project in the works? That I don't even think it was called Friends yet at the time, right? But that when you first heard about it, but just that there was such a project, there's going to be six, you know, young adults, pals living in New York, um, and that you might go out for or or be asked to, to be one of them. Um, it actually was called The Six of Us. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um, well, I, re- I remember reading the pilot and I did have to audition. I, I think I was up against um, Nancy... Um, Nancy McKenna, McKenna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I remembered hearing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had, you know, that was back in the days, which I guess is the same. You go to the network and Brandon Tartikoff was the head of NBC at the time. And I had to read in front of him and all the studio executives. And it was nerve wracking. Um, you know, a lot of people say, I say that I, you know, had the chance to be Rachel. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's not that they had offered me that. It was just that it was a choice to like, who was I going to, which character was I pursuing? And I, I don't know if that was the right choice, but it just felt right at the time to go with uh, Monica. Do you remember what went into that decision for you? Was there, 
is it sometimes I guess people want to play person who's more like them. Other times they want to go in the other direction. In fact, I had heard that Lisa Kudrow, when she was reading, said something like, I, I feel like I'm more like a Rachel or whatever. And that, obviously that didn't go in that direction. But for you, why Monica over Rachel? Well, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen after the pilot. But in reading the pilot, I liked Monica's sarcasm and I liked um, I just liked her attitude. I didn't know that she was going to become she was a little racy, actually. And I didn't know that she was going to become the obsessive, competitive, neat freak that she was. And I didn't know that Rachel was going to become, you know, this just so um, she's she was really flighty in the pilot. You know, she walks in with her wedding dress and she just doesn't notice. And I and I don't know. I just felt like I probably would just do a better job at that. And it's kind of worked out perfectly because there's no one better than Jennifer Aniston as Rachel and, you know, Lisa Kudrow as Phoebe. Nobody could play it like that. I mean, she just made that character. I mean, we all just brought, I guess, our our own twist to these characters. And, and of course, the, the writers <laughs> did everything. Well, so. I want to bring up another uh, key person who was involved, who we had on this podcast a few years ago, who uh, I know for you guys – from what I gather was basically the biggest star of all. And that's Jimmy Burroughs as the <laughs> director. I mean, just to contextualize for anybody listening who doesn't know, he was, and I guess, you know, you would say is the preeminent TV director, taxi chairs, Frazier, like almost all the episodes of, I think every episode of taxi. And then he basically, I, you know, he does what he wants, I guess. And there was something he saw about the pilot of friends that made him want to, be part of this how big a deal was it for young actors to be working with him oh such a huge deal you knew that if he wanted to put his name and direct the pilot you knew you had something special and you know his dad used to um i guess his name is abe yeah when it was you know he, i think he was on the radio but he did so much just by listening and jim burrow's Jimmy did the same thing. I mean, he obviously was looking and directing everyone and he just knew how to make things work. And you walk over here and you do this and just had the whole, it was so much energy and you'd be in the middle of a scene. You say, okay, let's go back. Let's just go back two lines. And you'd stop. And it just made things so much. There was just so much energy, but he could listen and know whether the joke was going to be flat or it was going to work way before the audience was there. And sometimes even <laughs> turned away from the stage, right? Yeah, you could just tell, you could hear. Um, my nickname was Court Hound, and I don't know why, <laughs> but that's what he called me. <laughs> um, we all had nicknames, but that was mine, and I just adore him. I, I learned so much from him. He's, he's an incredible human being, and I, I just I love, love, love him. Well, I want to uh, ask you when, for you, you first felt that things were clicking because – and before you answer, I got to read you a, a quote that relates to this, and this one is from – or may relate to it. I don't know what your your feelings are, but this one was from Lisa Kudrow. She said, quote, Courtney Cox was the best known of all of us, and she had done a guest star on Seinfeld. She said, listen, I just did a – she said, meaning you, uh, listen, I just did a Seinfeld, and they all help each other. They say, try this, and this would be funny. And she said, you guys, feel free to tell me if I could do anything funnier. I want to do it. 
and then she goes back to speaking for herself, there's a code with actors. Actors don't give each other notes under any circumstances. So she, Courtney, was giving us permission to give her notes, and we all agreed that that would be great. She was the one who set that tone and made it a real group that way, and I thought that was a real turning point, close quote. So anything you want to say about that, but just for you, your own sense that, wait a minute, this is actually kind of clicking. Well, I think that, I mean, in comedy, and I wouldn't say it goes for everything, but in comedy, when you're doing that and you're seeing people, it, it you become friends and you want everyone to succeed. This isn't about like, oh, they're funnier. And I just, there's no competition, not with this group. And I, I don't know, I, I guess I've always had this one for all, all for one kind of attitude in life anyway. And I don't think it's ever fair if someone gets paid more than someone else or someone, I, I just think it should be a group. and. I loved someone saying, oh, that's really funny when you walk in and you get that, whatever. Well, what if you try this? And we all had that relationship. And I do think that um, it just it, it pushes you to be better and to uh, think outside of your own box. Yeah. And um, anyway, yeah, we, we had a, a real camaraderie. And I think that was important. Just uh, speaking of the camaraderie as we as we move along chronologically here, I guess um, can you share the setting, the circumstances under which you first watched the pilot? Because I think that that has come up. We had um, not only Jimmy's perspective, but also uh, Schwimmer and LeBlanc have. It seems like it was a very memorable trip when you first saw the pilot, right? Um, was there a was there the the jet? Oh, is that where we saw it? That's what they say. I mean, that I guess that they showed it on the on this flight to Vegas, apparently. Oh, my gosh. See, again, my memory. But I remember that flight to Vegas. Yeah. And I remember what Jimmy Burrow said. I didn't remember watching. Maybe that's where we watched it. I mean, I guess if that's what they said, I'm not going to go well, against what that. Did, what did he say, though? Because that's, I think, the most important thing. Oh, like the most, the, yeah, you're right. The most important thing was, and this always gets me emotional. I don't know why. But I get emotional over everything. So, it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he said to us, all of us, here we are on a private Warner Brothers plane. This was such a big deal, and he gave us all. I don't know if it was two hundred or five hundred dollars, but let's say it was five hundred. And he said, "Okay, here you go, guys. We're all going to Vegas, and here's your spending money." And he said, "This is going to be. Why does this make me cry? It's so weird." I, I hate that part of my story. <laughs> um, but he said, this is going to be the last time that the six of you are ever going to be able to walk into a casino as a group. This is it. And we're like, what do you mean? How do you know? He said, because this is a special show. And this was at a point where you were seeing the pilot, but the public had not seen yeah. anything. And he was that confident that what you guys had was going to resonate. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah, I mean, and that that season that you guys came out of, 94 for NBC is legendary to this day because it's not – there's 100 pilots submitted apparently for NBC, four get ordered, and two of them are ER and friends. So Are you serious? That's the odds that we're wow. looking at. And obviously, I guess, did you ever have any doubt it's going to series? I have a very um, – I'm pretty optimistic person. Um I did buy a, a really nice car from the pilot <laughs> when we got picked up and everyone thought I was crazy. Uh, I always overextend just going, you know, if, 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 if you, what's that line from 
if you plant it, it will grow or yeah, yeah. if you build it, they will come. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's a much better line than what I just said. Um, but I, I didn't know, but I just took my chances. I, I, I did know that we had something special. I, I, I knew that the chemistry and the writing and the, um, and the fact that Jim Burroughs wanted to do, I, I felt pretty confident. So just one last thing before we move on to the, to the next topic, but I want to again, read you something that I came across prepping for this. This is from a 2019 piece in the New York times, marking the 25th birthday of friends quote. And I think it's Wesley Morris who won a Pulitzer, maybe that very year for just very good writing on culture on arts. He says, quote, halfway through season one, it was clear this boat had no captain, just a lot of oars. And the rowing Cox did has never received its due. She wasn't as rubbery a funny person as Perry and Schwimmer or as radiant and tangy in her approach to comedy as Jennifer Aniston was as Rachel. She couldn't physicalize sarcasm and shock with as much uh, cursive and calculus as the other five. But athletic gumption launched Monica entirely beyond classification. I mean, I guess her type was type A. Monica made the most psychological sense as a former fat person who's holding on to whatever it took to shed that weight, to shed the weight and keep it off. We can shake our heads now at the idea of the show's laughing at her size or the fat suit Cox wears in flashbacks. These flashbacks also explain why she seemed to think everything was grace for competition, why winning and losing mattered so much to her, why control was so important. And Monica lost so much control, so much cool, so much coolness. Each actor managed to do a lot with intensity, but Cox made it a state of Monica's mind, close quote. So just um, – I guess, you know, going in for a decade, playing this character, um, you know, playing any character over 10 years must must uh, be quite a, a – it is a very rare and unusual experience and you, I would imagine, grow and change yourself during that time and the character evolves. Just um, when you think back to just developing the character, which you will always be associated with among others, but – probably first and foremost. Um, do you remember kind of feeling, growing into a feeling that you've got it, that you, or you understand who this person is and why you play her the way you play her? Um, first of all, was that a compliment or was that negative? What? Cause that, no, that was I think so, it was. I couldn't tell. I thought, no, well, <laughs> I, like, I, it's, I thought it, no, no, no. I think it's very, I think it's very, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll send the link if you like. I think it was very It was okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Cause that, he, he's, that guy's so smart that yeah, I yeah. couldn't tell. <laughs> um, um, I, I, did I know? I mean, yes, I did understand. I, I, you know, we're not even allowed to even talk about overweight Monica, but that's what she was as a kid. And then I, I, you're right. She, everything mattered and she wanted to, um, she was very competitive and she was um, very type A and, and probably didn't have the control when she was a kid. So she wanted it as she got older, but um, I do think the character evolved as, I, mean, I, I, I do also feel like Marta Kaufman, one of our creators, had a lot of similarities with Monica and her drive and her type A personality. And, um, it was, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, I did understand that character very well and, and I am very type A <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I do like order. And I mean, I wouldn't say that I am as, well, people say you're so competitive, Courtney. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and, Anyway, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, out of out of 
uh, the success of Friends came all kinds of other things. I know it was not long after that you're uh, after it went on the air. I think you're on the cover of People's Most uh, Beautiful Issue. You're a cast and scream like things are happening as a result of Friends taking off. And I wonder though how much how many professional choices were a reaction in a way to Monica, like, hey, I want to show that I can do something different. Like, for instance, the first major thing, I guess, would have been Scream, which is in 96. Friends is on the air first in 94. Is that a direct thing? Like, this is a very different lady than Monica? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was absolutely something that I wanted to do. That I, You know, when you read that quote earlier in the conversation, I was surprised I was talking like that then because it became a really important thing for me to not ever, you can't beat friends. You can't try to do, I mean, I didn't want to do, I'm sure we'll talk about that, but mm -hmm. I didn't want to go from trying to do another sitcom in any way because it just wouldn't work or you'd be compared to it. So yes, playing Gail Weathers was really fun and just completely different. And I had to, it was such a change for people to, I mean, even Wes Craven for him to go, wait a minute. I know her as the girl next door, not as Gail Weathers, this, you know, really ruthless reporter, but um, I'm, I'm so glad for the opportunity. And would you have, the I was going to say, would you ever have imagined here we are 26 years after the first and you've just done the fifth, the sixth is next year. I mean, that, that it would have this kind of a life, I guess the first sign, I don't want to preempt your answer, but it would seem like I think it debuted over the winter holidays, the first one, and it was in theaters for like six, seven months. That doesn't happen. So was it just how early on did you guys realize this was kind of a phenomenon? And do you have any theory for why? Um, the first screen was incredible. I mean, the reason why I think it works so well is for starters, it was written uh, by Kevin Williamson. He's in just a wonderful writer. It, uh, you have Wes Craven. There is no one better at horror. Horror, Although, you know, he's the most gentle, sweet. Um, you know, he's, he's you, you would never think this is the king of horror ever. Right. You just not when you meet him. But anyway, um, you have those two elements right there. And then, you know, you get Drew Barrymore, who's gets killed in the first, what, 11, 12 minutes. If you're going to kill off such an icon, you know, it's something that's like, it's, it's just too good. But um, I just think that was the first time, at least that I remember where you really combined um, comedy with horror, with uh, everything was making fun of itself, making fun of the fact that scary movies are this way. Um I, that's where I learned the word meta where, they, you know, um, it just was really unique. I, I've never, I'd never been a part of anything or seen anything like that. It was really funny. And that cast was so good. Um, anyway, I, I, I love doing it and I had no idea that we'd be doing it for that long. Well, and we will come back to the idea of blending comedy and horror, of course, shortly with Shining Veil. But uh, I, I, it is interesting that these are the, the two defining genres of your career so far that kind of uh, find a way to, to blend and blur and whatever. But uh, before there was any of that, there was the first show after Friends where you, again, I'm wondering if it's a deliberate thing to go in a completely opposite direction with 
dirt. You're playing this tabloid editor, but it's now go, from coming from a half hour right uh, sitcom mm-hmm. to going to uh, on a network to cable an hour long drama on cable. You can't go very far in a in a another direct much further in another direction. Um, not to mention playing probably a character who you yourself would have found, I imagine, repulsive after years of living in the, you know, sites of the of the tabloid culture, uh, paparazzi, all of that. So just was this purely uh, just a great script or was it also let's do something totally different? OK, so this was um, I had a production company uh, called Coquette and uh, this was an in-house idea. We pitched the idea to FX. Um, there was um, one of our executives. Well, when I say one of our executives, there's only three of us. <laughs> but, <it> was, <laughs> um, uh, but our development, uh, her name is um, Taya Mann. So this was a how, uh, an idea that we all, that Taya had this thought. We all created it. And then we sold it to FX. And then we found the writer. Um, and we looked and looked and looked and FX was very hands-on and really wanted to find the most interesting, the, the, anyway, just somebody that just thinking outside of the box. And, and I think personally, this idea of the show was ahead of its time. It, it didn't turn out to be what I was expecting, but cause what we had planned and what actually what we pitched it was much more, it was salacious, but not in just the sexual, uh, seedy way. Um, it became more of a heady show. It's almost as if I was the editor of, you know, a Vanity Fair. Right. It was really supposed to be an editor of Us Magazine or right. some really, um, just who's going to get the story. And there, here's, we had this character named um, uh, Don Conkey, who is played by Ian Hart. And what a great actor he is. But it was supposed to be a little less sophisticated and more just ruthless. And um, it, it was, it just was, it was a little elevated in a, in a way that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yes, I wanted to play a character that was completely different than friends. I didn't want to be compared. I wanted to push myself and um, I, I loved that show and I loved doing it. And I loved the fact that it was something that we created and then, um, but. And it anyway. was really, was it the, I, I think one of the theories is that the writer's strike is part of the reason why it was yeah. not longer lived. I think so. I, it was the second season and I it, like the writer strike came right at the beginning. And I remember everything was shut. No one came to work. And um, yeah, I think that had a big thing to do with it. Well, so that was 2007 to 2008 and then 2009, pretty shortly after you're back with, uh, with Cougar Town, which just to note, co-created by Bill Lawrence, who I believe was a writer on the first season of Friends, along with Kevin Beagle. Uh, this whole – the interest, one of the interesting things here that um, had kind of came up in a lot of the stuff that I was reading during prep is that the whole cougar angle of it really was supplanted pretty quickly by the idea of um, you know turning it into an ensemble comedy about multiple midlife issues, and that was – Apparently, at, at your urging, whereas a lot of people would have said, you know, no, I, this is a show that is centered on me and there can be other peripheral characters and whatever. Why, for you, did you do the other, the opposite, essentially, and advocate for for uh, making it a real ensemble? I don't know. How dumb is that? 
I, what, what is this thing I have? And I don't think I would do this anymore, but I must have this real thing being the youngest of four kids. And I, I don't know why. I, I just always think things are better when everybody gets to shine. But I must say, I really love the pilot of Cougar Town. I loved playing this character. I had a line where, you know, she has sex for the first time with this young boy. And I remember the line is something like, um, oh, Wow. I can see colors. I mean, like (laughs) it had just been so long and it just, I thought it was really funny, but I do think that, you know, I I don't think, which is weird because I'd come from dirt, but people wanted to see me with younger boys. I think they like me in a relationship. And I think that, and I did love the characters, the way they interacted and bounced off of each other. But, uh, yeah, I think the show did change, but I, I, I did love the beginning. I thought that mm-hmm. was really fun, but mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> well, that that was, I mean, the number of, of, I don't know that there are too many people as young as you who have done as many episodes of television, of series television, cumulatively as you have. That one was 102. Friends was what, like 236, I heard, I think. Um, and then, of course, there's these others that we've touched upon, but uh when Cougar Town ended after those 102 and you kind of, I think, made a, a decision that you're going to step back a little bit, you've, you, I saw another thing where you'd recently said you, you were in some ways a little taken aback at how quickly one can feel no longer sort of central to what's going on or not a part, less relevant, I think was the word you used. What, why, so there's, having worked so regularly through the end of Cougar Town in 2015, now you're coming back with Shining Veil vale in 2022. But in those intervening years, was there a sense that I'm, it seems like you're, you're saying I'm gone because I want to be, but I'm, I'm not sure that I like it. Yeah. Um, Okay. Did I do any screams between that or no, that was, I guess the newest one was the, the, well, so the, the, the fourth was in 2011. Thank you. And then the most recent was 2022. So there was a gap. So 2011. And that was after Cougar Town. Well, I know there was a period of about six years. Okay. So this is really personal, but, um, I went from Cougar Town, which I really loved. But then I, I, I went through a breakup and it was really, it affected me just like in a big way. Um, and it was a big growth period for me. And I spent a lot of time from, I went from really sad depression to, I have to learn about myself and understand where, you know, what's my part in this situation. And I spent a lot of time with, you know, on personal growth, but to, to be honest, and I wasn't as interested in finding something. I didn't feel as passionate. I felt much more, I felt it was much more important at that time to go in as opposed to deny or, you know, push my feelings down. And which you'd never really stopped up until that point. Yeah. There, there had not been a gap of from when it got going and was, I mean, what we're talking about at the, even let's just say friends marked the beginning, even though it was going before that, that's 94 all the way to 2015. That's a long time to basically not stop for very long. Yeah. And my daughter remembers most of that. (laughs) (laughs) I did work a lot. And, um, 
Yeah, that's really lucky that I was able to do that. But so I decided, I, I not that I decided, it just was what it was. I just did a lot of work on myself. And then um, I ended up doing a pilot for the first time that I'd done a pilot since, you know, way back, like way before, after Family Ties, maybe, before, you know, I don't think I'd done a pilot again since Friends. And so I did this pilot for Fox and, um, oh, and that, listen, the whole, to be, to be honest, I was chasing age. I was, I, you know, I wasn't, like I said, I was trying to find myself in so many ways and not, you know, not being able to come to terms with the fact that I'm getting older and, you know, I'm, I think I was going through a midlife crisis. Uh, that's something that we have to accept in ourselves. And, and I, you know, had a lot of regrets of trying to think you have any control over that. You just don't. Um, I mean, your health, you can do something you can, you know, but not, you don't have that much control. So, uh, I kind of got lost there in my conversation and my thoughts just then. So what was I saying and where am I going? Well, just that, that was exactly, I mean, that, what was that, that intervening period between where you, where you had the, for the first time, a, a gap between shows. And then it's interesting because you're saying if it was something even resembling a midlife crisis, that actually, in some ways you've now probably been able to draw upon for, Shining Veil, which is uh, for anyone who hasn't yet checked it out, the, the you know, you I'm sure could do a, a better job of it than me to synopsize. But essentially, um, you know, a woman's having a, a, a seems to be having a little bit of a midlife crisis. She's cheated on her husband, a father of her two kids, but wants to reinvest in it. And so they move away to to Connecticut to an old house from New York and um, try to have a fresh start there, but there may or may not be things going on in the house that are, that are making that more difficult. Um, and I guess you have said, well, let's first go. Where did, where did this idea come from? Was it, what was the, because there is a, weirdly a friend's connection here too, right? There is. And it's true. I, 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 okay. Let me start with, um, this idea, the idea was Sharon Horgan's to do a comedy, uh, The Shining as a comedy. Um, Sharon is an incredible actor. She's a great writer. When I heard that she was involved, I was so excited to read the script because I'm such a huge fan of hers. Uh, Jeff Astroff was a writer on Friends. Knew he was so talented, funny, uh, just a great guy. Uh, So I think Sharon found Jeff. You know, it was a Warner Brothers, uh, Aaron Kaplan project. And I read it and I thought, this is so unique. And I had never got to, I've never had the chance to play such a multifaceted layered character. And now I'm older and now I'm in a completely different place in my life. I've gone through so much and learned so much. And I just thought, this is incredible. The whole show is about I mean, to be able to play, it's about, you know, there's mental health, addiction, like you said, marital strife, uh, moving completely away from what you're used to in a, a, a new town, starting over, um, you know, having two teenage kids, one, the age of Coco that just wants to push you away because it's that time in life, one that's going through puberty, um, you know, having writer's block. That was my six years of not working. Right. Um, just being stuck. And I, I, I had, I could relate to so much of it and I'd never, and, and just the fact that everything's changing and 
I, and then you move into a house that's haunted. <laughs> which which apparently is uh, you got what's where do you guys shoot? We shot the pilot in Pasadena in a house that I promise you couldn't have been scarier. <laughs> it was I mean, I would not have walked in certain areas without taking somebody with me ever. Um and I know I've done a lot of horror things, but it doesn't matter. I, I have a real <laughs> fear about psychological, you know, psychological things. I, my favorite movies are things like um, Rosemary's Baby and The Shining. I just love all those kind of yep. uh, what's going to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, so we shot it in um, and then we end up shooting the series in at Warner Brothers where they recreated the house, the attic. If you watch the show, um, mm -hmm. the attic scenes were done on stage five, which is where Friends started. Oh, my God. That was our first uh, soundstage. So it just so much came back. It was so great to walk on that lot and and have another show. And and I love this character. I feel so lucky that I get to play this. I, I can go from, you know, she's very dry and but then have the most emotional scene and then have the most you know, then kind of funny and then scary. And then I've just never, I've gotten to sink my teeth into a character that uh, is so fulfilling. And I've worked really hard on this. I didn't want to phone it in. I didn't want to rely on just past work and and how do I break down a character? I, I just, I worked on every part of her with uh, my acting coach and her name is Nancy Banks. She's That's incredible. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you about next, because I, I find that, you know, it makes sense that, uh, you know, does Roger Federer's Roger Federer would probably kick his coach's ass, but he still works with a coach. He's got a, mm. and I think that you seem to have adopted that same idea. And there, I think probably more actors than acknowledge it do because why wouldn't you? But I wonder if you can talk about, because you've really said she's changed things in a major way for you. So how did you come to this lady and what, what is it that makes her f effective for you? Well, I'd actually heard about her through Jennifer mm -hmm. and she works with her on the morning show. And I mean, that's her business. I probably shouldn't say whatever she, but she knows how great she is. She told me about her and Jason Bateman uh, loves her. So that's how I heard about Nancy Banks. And um, we just broke it down. Every just gave it backstory. Um, Gave you know, and also luckily Jeff is so he loves Jeff Astroff loves this show so much, and he is he knows every detail. He's he he cares so much. So anything that I had a question about, I could ask him because he had already done you know. There's a, a complete bible on every character, but um, Nancy just gives you a different ways to look at things, and always something in your head. You're not just you know. She just gives you a richness and a fullness about everything that um, I'd never quite done that kind of work before. Um, there's something else I want to say about that. Oh, and even after I'll watch certain episodes and I, I don't say this about, cause I really love every episode, but there was two scenes in one episode and I went, ah, there's a lot of exposition because in the first year you have to lay so much pipe. And that's what it's exciting about doing season two. We don't have to explain anything. Now we're just going to go in there. And, and we should but, say you guys just uh, quite recently, just uh, congratulations, ordered a second season. So that'll be, you know, sometimes people are reluctant to invest in a show because they just don't know, you know, uh, is it going anywhere? This is this is going to be around. 
this is going to be around. Yeah. It's really exciting. But the thing I had learned was, and it was only two scenes in one particular episode. And I thought, okay, I, what's wrong with these two scenes? And I know I had a lot of exposition and I called her up and I said, if this happens again, I, I, I we really broke down what it is when you have to lay pipe, you got to be doing something. <laughs> I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're yeah. eating. I don't care if you're say, you know what, guys, we can't do the standing up. We got to walk. You've got to move because it's hard to actually uh, give information when there's not something physical or emotional that's happening. Well, and if anyone is equipped to handle pace, I mean, was that wasn't that probably the defining when when I know they've gone back to Jimmy or other people, what made Friends different than what was before it? Now, in hindsight, it's harder to evaluate because everybody copied Friends. But I think a lot of people say it was just the pace of mm-hmm. what you guys were doing. I mean, compare it to Seinfeld, as a lot of people like to do, or anything else. It's just so much faster. Yeah, it is so much faster. And now, you know, what we pack into this half hour is incredible. And and. Yeah. I love that it's a half hour. I love that. I mean, I, I don't want to see anything past a half hour. I, I don't want to go to a movie that's more than an hour and 30 minutes. No. Though, unless it's, I mean, there's a couple of great ones. But yeah, I'm not a binge watcher because it takes too long. But I've, God, I could watch Shining Vale in, what, four hours? And it, I mean, that's incredible. Well, I wonder having now had plenty of taste of cable, you know, that kind of way of working, having... Would you ever imagine a scenario where you would want to go back to doing – you guys were doing 24 episodes a season over nine months of the year when you were doing Friends. It's almost like inhumane, right? <laughs> it is except for um, we got it down so well the last few years. We were not working on Mondays. We worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Thursdays were long. Fridays were incredibly long, like 9 a.m. or 11 until 3 in the morning. So we just knew that was going to be a hellacious day, but the most fun day. That's when Mm -hmm. the audience was there. And um, and we would always hang out afterwards because we loved each other. And it was just such a great time. But, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think. Although we did work three weeks on and one week off. So it was a great schedule. Um, I will say doing Shining Veil, the hours are harder. It's 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 just harder work. But it's it's just so rewarding in so many ways. Well, with the last two minutes that I have with you before I turn this over to some student questions, I hope we could just do kind of a couple of a few big picture things. Just first thing that comes to your mind, a sentence or two, which is the character you've played overall of all the ones we've talked about or others, which has challenged you the most? Uh, Pat Phelps. Shining Bell. Okay, from Shining Bell. Okay. What is the thing that you have not had the opportunity to do yet as an actress that you yearn most to have the opportunity to do? I think that that will happen within this character of um, Shining Veil. I don't, I think it's, un, there's no limit. I mean, she, I heard the last scene, she's being wheeled into a psych ward. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, so I would say I, I probably will experience it on the show. If right. I haven't already. If you are flipping through the channels, as so many of us do, and uh, occasionally come across an episode of Friends, what do you do? I sit and go, wow, I don't remember doing that. But oh, my God, <laughs> that's the funniest scene. And I start laughing and I I just I, I enjoy it so much. Do you have a favorite episode of that show? Um. I have favorite scenes or moments or lines from characters that I just that make me laugh. 
Um, but I, for me personally, my favorite, well, I love the Thanksgiving episodes. I love when we play football. I love, um, I loved switching apartments when Rachel and I, um, were in that, um, game and we lost, but I think that when I asked Chandler to marry me was like, ah, this is, it was just so emotional and sweet. And it kind of was a, a, it was a great moment for me. What would Monica? Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, please. When we um came up from the covers, yes, uh, in in Vegas, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Were we in England or I think we were in England? This is where season four, where the audience goes goes nuts that you guys are together. I mean, it was the longest laugh. This is what I was told. Yeah, it was the longest laugh that we had ever gotten on the show. That just kept going on, and we had to cut it down because it was just crazy. Because it was just so unexpected. And, and that course, was, there was no plan at that point, right? For it to be an ongoing thing. It was because of the audience reaction. That's right. Yeah. People wow. loved it. And uh, Matthew, I wish I could remember his line, but he made some physical thing as if I was doing something really naughty under the covers. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's like, okay, my turn or something. I don't know what right, he said. Right, but, right, right. Uh, I forgot. Well, he was really, he's a hysterical that guy totally well uh last two for me what would in your view obviously everybody can have their theory i guess but for we care about your view what would monica's life look like today all right uh i would say monica would still be really competitive she would have kids with chandler they would live someplace in the suburbs and she would want to be the best parent. She would organize all of the uh, PTA meetings and make sure that she <laughs> was better at everybody. Every, everything, you know, whether it was a bake sale, she would make it the best. <laughs> and she'd be really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, this one is the impossible question. But I guess had whatever it is, 28 years ago, had friends not come along how would you guess your life would have unfolded in the intervening years? Would it, would you, you know, do you have an idea of what you might've done in, you know, uh, instead? Wow. Um, had friends. I remember getting a call. My dad, uh, I, he says I was a great salesman. I could, I just, I used to work at a swimming pool store, not my dad's. Right. And I would sell chemicals and test people's water. And I know I had like a, a, a quota that I had to make and I always ways uh, exceeded it. So he said to me, you know, right before friends happened, I was running out of money. And he said, CC, which is my nickname. Mm -hmm. It's a long fall from California to Alabama, <laughs> which by the way, it's not actually, cause it's yeah, just yeah, right across. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but he said, you need to come home. And I'll give you a job and you can work for me. And, you know, you're a damn good salesman and you need to get your butt home and, you know, do what you do best. And I was like, dad, I, I have enough money for a month. Just let me, I'm going to try. And I got friends. Wow. That's but great. what would I do if I didn't? Um, I either, I don't know if I would have had the drive. I feel so lucky. Um, because now I get to do all the things that I love at the same time as I get to act. I love design. I love, I mean, I have all these hobbies. It's crazy how I, I'm, I just feel so blessed. Well, it, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you don't have to solely be a salesman. So that's, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> test water. Right. <laughs> so thank you so much for this. And we are going to turn this over. I'm going to shift the computer so the students can, uh, 
chime in. Let me just. Okay. Um, hey guys. If, <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna. I want to be in that class. Please okay. come, come anytime. Okay. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start with Molly Rose. First of all, thank you so much for being here. I'm such a huge fan. Um, Friends is like my comfort show. I always watch and I've always seen myself so much in Monica. So, But even outside of that, I just have so much respect for you as a woman and as a woman in this industry because you've been part of so many different parts of the industry, um, like directing and producing. And I think you've even done some stuff in music too. So my biggest question for you is which of the things that you've done outside of acting or even acting as well was your favorite kind of like venture into the industry, the more like technical parts of it, the more business parts of it. And like, what would you also like to explore within the industry in the future? Oh, wow. Great question. Um, I directed one of the first things I directed was, I mean, I did a lot of Cougar towns, but I did a, th a show called um, tall, hot blonde. And that was probably the most um, I love. I love directing. I'm, I'm such a visual person that I, I'm actually, I'm not as good of a speaker or I, I don't, I communicate through emotions, but I'm not, I just something I'm very visual and I love directing and I'm, that's something I want to continue to do. I have a project that, um, that I'm going to be working on. We sold it and now I'm just an incredible writer and hopefully it's actually, um, I don't know if you know the series, uh, evil genius. It was on Netflix. Um, we're going to, I'm going to tell the love story of how the two people, um, how they were so obsessed with each other and kind of tell the backstory of it. But anyway, um, I, your question was great and I can't remember where I'm going with the answer. Um, oh, I, I, I love producing. I love, but really directing, I think, and acting are my, are, are the things that I want to continue to explore. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hi, Miss Cox. Thank you for taking our questions. Um, of course. I'm actually a screenwriting major, and my first professor I ever had here was Jill Condon, who wrote on season four of Friends. Yeah. And she was amazing. I, I really um, love her. But um, my question is, um, I'm a huge fan of the Scream franchise, and I thought the new one was like the best one since the original. I thought it really was awesome, and it, all the fans just loved it. And um, I was curious, um, did you learn any big lessons from Wes Craven that you carried on into your own directing projects? Uh, yes, I learned so much from Wes I, as an actor and a director. Um, you know, I, I actually, which it's interesting because this project that I'm going to do, I will really go back and, and, and study his work. But, you know, it's interesting because Wes, uh, is the reason why, cause I thought, how, why are we, we going to do another scream? I mean, no offense. That first one was incredible. The second was great. The third, fourth. Okay. <laughs> let's wrap this up. And then these directors that we had were incredible and they were, uh, Wes was their mentor. I mean, he, they loved him and his work. And so, uh, what did I learn from Wes? Just how to make things suspenseful, how to use the camera, how to, um, uh, just the timing, he could make anything scary. And, you know, I, that's what I do when I watch anything. I just love, oh my God, I was watching this show. I know this is not a part of it, but there's a movie called bull. Have you heard of this? Whoa. It is so gruesome. I mean, I've never seen such, I mean, you see the murders, but you got to watch it for the directing because it's incredible. 
It really is good. Um, the acting is fantastic. And I didn't answer your question again because I get <laughs> off in tangents. But yeah. I, I learned a lot from him. And that would be about camera movement and timing and um, and also heart. It's you know, it's always about the story. It's it always has to be about what are you saying? What's the story about? Not just, you know, moments. Courtney, we're going to go to one of our students who unfortunately is, is zooming in because she has COVID, but didn't want to miss this. So Sammy, you have a question. You can open your camera. Hello. I cannot miss this. How are you feeling? I'm surviving. We're, we're going to be thriving soon. That's what's great. You look but great. You don't look I like you have COVID. You know what? That is the best compliment. I needed that. Um, my question for you is, like Professor Feinberg talked about, you're very busy. You just sold the show. You have season two coming, um, but you also have home court. Um, and I know before you mentioned your love of design, but what made you kind of combine the two with uh, being entrepreneurial and starting this company? Because I love the campaign with all the florals and it just, it looks so calming and peaceful. Uh, thank you so much. Yes, uh, home court is, came from passion. I, I love scents. I was going to do a candle because I love candles. And I because I'm so obsessed with design, I wanted to create the most beautiful candle that would go in anyone's house. And then during COVID, we, you know, during the time we were locked down, all I wanted to smell was Clorox. If it didn't smell like Clorox, then I what am I going to do? We have to wipe our packages down. It's like, oh. And then I thought, I, I don't want to smell Clorox anymore. I just want to, and I do love to clean. I'm sorry, Monica. I do. Um, I don't have I don't have a hidden closet though. I just want to say it. I don't have a closet that has a bunch of stuff in it. Um, but anyway, I I just decided why not make products that you could put on your counter, leave on your counter that look great and work and smell the way you want to smell. So I actually, one of the scents is called CC and I'm wearing two oils and a perfume that I mixed together. And that's what I, that's how I created this particular scent. And then there's a rose and a neroli and a Moroccan mint, but I designed a bottle. I, I was inspired by a, a olive oil bottle on my kitchen counter. I was like, that's what, no one has a cleaning product that's square. And then I love the color and the font and I want it to be, you know, natural, like recycled plastic that you can recycle. And um, I don't know, just a passion project that I'm really proud of. And yeah, the, I love that you noticed the photographs. We got an incredible photographer um, from Brazil and we went to Belgium and shot. We spent a lot of money on, on that, but it, it's so unique, I think. So I think it needed that kind of uh, up scale kind of look. Thank you so much. Hi, Courtney. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I love Friends so much and I consider it to be like my big comfort show. I can turn it on at like any time of the day and I can feel just like a million times better. Okay. Um, do you have a comfort show that's like that? Mm. I, uh, I think what comforts me is when I get lost in something. Uh, so I really, um, I'm loving the staircase right now. I think Colin Firth is incredible. Um, I loved White Lotus. And these are not comforting shows, <laughs> clearly. But there's something about when I just shut off and I just, I'm into the story. That's comforting to me because I'm such a, I, I multitask. My brain doesn't stop. So when I can shut it down, then that's comforting. 
Hi, Courtney. Nice Hi. to meet you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I have a question about um, a lot of actors have kind of spoken about when they're on like uh, a long sort of series show uh, like you have been. Um, there's a kind of level of comfort that comes with that. So I'm just curious as how do you kind of grow as an actress while sort of being on these long uh, series? So that's a great question. Um, I think it's easy to rely and kind of get comfortable in a character. Um, uh, Friends, it was different. The energy was just different. But I think that there was a time where I did get comfortable. Like the first season of Cougar Town, I worked so hard. And then I found myself getting comfortable. And I didn't think about it at the time. But what would reinvigorate me would be to direct. And those would be probably my best episodes because I was so interested and knew every line so well. And um, I think that helped. But I think as I'm older and I appreciate what I do so much more, I don't take anything for granted that just try to keep pushing myself. And I, I don't like a shining veil. I, I would never get complacent in the character again. I just want to get better and better and better and be more present and um but yeah, it's a good, good, it's a good point. Don't, don't let yourself get too comfortable. You can always be, you can always get better. Hi, Courtney. Um, Hi. My name's Sharna and this is just like unreal, but um, I wanted to ask specifically about what it's like having your daughter and her demographic and age group kind of finding friends like through streaming and just like that entire demographic just like diving into it and as everyone said here like it is a comfort show for this age group so yeah I just wanted to peek into that um I I just thought of a comfort show cheers is really comforting um anyway uh, I I'm how crazy is it that my daughter's friends now watch it. It's, it's, I think friends is a timeless show. I mean, obviously it's proven to be timeless, but you know, comedy is comedy. Humor is humor. And it's, it just will, I think it's going to last forever because I don't care how big our cell phones were. I don't care how big our computers were. People can relate to situations and situational comedies that involve characters that someone, you know, that you can relate to is on the show. Uh, but um Sorry, I always go off on things. Um, uh, I'm just really, that is the luckiest thing in the world is to have this, you know, still be so present. Um, my, my daughter, she's proud of it when someone says it, but I don't think, I think that she would admit that it's, it's great. Uh, but when someone's around, she's like, yeah, you know, that's my mom. But it also, I think Monica's having a little bit of a resurgence. And she used to think that I was a real nerd. I mean, in a, in the sense of, oh, Monica, what a, that character. <laughs> but I think that she's appreciating more now. Hi, uh, thank Hi. you so much for letting us ask some questions. Um, I'm a big fan, so I'm very excited. <laughs> um, I, my question is about, you mentioned how you would like to get even further into directing, and that is something that you're passionate about. And as a, an aspiring female director myself, I'm just curious if you have any suggestions uh, for me or just any advice to any female directors out there. Well, luckily, you know, we have so many more opportunities now than we did being female directors. So um, the advice 
I know this is crazy probably, but you know, I've done a few, I've done quite a few music videos. That's to be able to tell a story within three minutes or tell something visually interesting in three minutes um, is really challenging. I mean, stupid Instagram has been really challenging for me. I, I get, I don't, I'm not the person who takes a picture of the sunset and says, you know, Malibu. No, I just do really weird videos. That's just always try to tell visual stories. Doesn't matter what it is. I think that's important and um, find something and find and direct it. shorts. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that I don't, I, I just think that you should constantly be doing something that makes you um, inspired and then put together a reel and get it out there. But I think music videos is a great way to, to, to show that. Thank you. Hi, Courtney. Uh, I'm, Hi. I'm so surprised that I'm speaking to you. This is incredible. <laughs> My question is, how did you deal with fame and has it changed with time? I, I think this is my Alabama roots and I don't know, but I don't, I don't have the same issue with fame as, as I, as other people. Like I, I will never not take a picture with somebody. I will never not, not that people are doing autographs that much anymore, but I, I feel that, um, it's kind of my, not my duty, but I've been given so many opportunities because of, you know, being in the public eye. And yes, it can, you know, I remember being pregnant and paparazzi were chasing me and I was like, oh, I was in the, getting lost in a parking garage and I didn't know how to get out. And I thought this is dangerous. But besides that part of it, um, there are lots of great parts too. And I think I just focus on that. And, um, you know, the day that someone doesn't give a shit was going to be the day that it's not going to feel that great. So <laughs> I just, I think you deal with it by, you know, being appreciative for, for the opportunities and what, what, what it's brought. Hello. Thank you so much for taking our questions for being in this industry for so long and working and doing multiple different aspects. Um, and you talked earlier about how you were experiencing burnout a little bit. I'm wondering, do you still experience burnout? Is it different from how it was earlier in your career? Um, I think that taking that break, was important in so many ways, but I don't, I don't think I experienced burn, you know, being burnt out anymore. I, I, I have such passion for what I'm doing, especially on this show, Shining Veil and creating home court. I, I'm really like, I'm, I'm so nonstop that it's almost weird, but um, am I terrible at answering the questions? No. I just don't know. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you again for taking the time uh, on behalf of all of us. We really, really appreciate it. And uh Enjoy season two. That's a, that's big news. Very exciting. Thank, Thank you so you. much. It was really fun talking to you guys. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us.